0: We're doing it. We're making it happen. I'm excited. <laughs> this one's going to be so good. Guys, my guest today is absolutely amazing. And I feel so grateful to be able to talk to her a second time. Basically, I'm just going to keep inventing new podcasts to be like, <laughs> inviting her on shows so that there's like an excuse for us to chat <laughs> once a month. Um Who is she? She's an absolute badass. Uh, We had her on the Hardcore Marketing Show where literally I went to school on sales strategy and it was such a cool conversation, literally practical advice. So if you're interested, you will go look to that. We'll link to it in the show notes. But who is she? She's a sales leader and a closer turned chief evangelist. Where, which means now she's doing keynote speaking, advisory councils, podcasting, which is why she's here, and also just connecting across multiple platforms. If you haven't already met this person, you will see her name everywhere. She's the host of the Challenger Sale Podcast, Chief Evangelist at Challenger. Jen Allen, welcome to the show.
1: Casey, it's so good to be with you. You know, you are always like my light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, podcast. I love the time I spend you. So thanks for having me back.
0: Yes. Well, this will be like a little bit of a, a lighthouse in the fog of a Friday. How about that? let's so do it. Fun. So, Hey, I can't wait to talk podcasting with you because you have been rocking the show, teaching people, connecting with people. So I'm going to stop talking and just ask you this question, Jen, pull back the curtain for us on your show and share your most important strategy for a great interview podcast.
1: Okay. So the show is called Winning the Challenger Sale. Yes, I joined it late last year. Um, The purpose of the show is many of you may know the book, The Challenger Sale or The Challenger Customer, or you've heard of The Challenger Sales Methodology. Um, The purpose behind the show is to take the methodology and the theory of challenger and actually bring a seller's perspective around how do I take that theory? How do I take that challenger mindset And show up in all the jobs to be done that I have as sellers. So how do I show up like a challenger in discovery or how do I show up like a challenger in a group meeting? Um, And for that reason, it's been a ton of fun. I've spent my entire career as a frontline salesperson. I love sales. I've made every mistake in the book. And so what's been really fun for me is sharing not here is my point of view as an expert, because I would never call myself in as, as an expert, but here is someone who's probably made every mistake in the book, learned from it, and been very intentional about sharing back those learnings. So that's kind of the premise of the show. When I joined the show, we were not having guests on. It was just a once-a-month show, and it was me and my co-host, and we were just talking about what I just shared, right? Then in February of this year, we decided to switch the format to weekly with a guest every week. The number one lesson I learned or the number one thing I would advise anybody who is hosting a podcast with guests is to almost treat it exactly like we treat sales calls. And this is what I mean. I have a strong, strong opposition to showing up to a sales call and being like, so tell me what you do. Tell me what you're thinking about. Tell me what your problems are, because I think it creates a lot of effort for the person on the other end of the line, which is usually our customer prospect. I think the same rules apply when we are inviting a guest on the show. So to be very specific, I prep for a podcast just like I prep for a customer call. I'm scrolling through their LinkedIn. I'm looking at their high-performing posts. I'm listening to other podcasts that they're on so that I can come into that show knowing what their point of view is and making them feel like, Hey, you're not just another number, another person than a butt in a seat, but actually, Hey, I saw your post on this last week. It really caught my attention. Can you say more about your, you know, your contrarian point of view here? And I think by doing that, it makes the person on the other end of the the podcast feel like, Hey, they actually really value my point of view and they make me more comfortable because they're kind of giving me guidelines of, of where to spend my time talking. So for me, that, that was the big one.
0: First of all, Cool answer. Super cool. Not only is it helpful, but literally everything that I learned from you on the marketing podcast or any, anything that anyone learns about how to do a good sales call can literally apply to this, yeah. which is your sweet spot. So that next, next question is I hear, I hear some research is happening. It, is, are those the key ingredients for a sales call? You're looking up your prospect, you're finding out more about them. Um, it, any voodoo dolls happening Any no. other things we should know about <laughs> what no how do you get into their doll. soul
1: how do you get into their soul i've never been asked that before i think for me it's you know we live in a world today where we are just sitting on an embarrassment of riches right like many of the people and companies we're calling on are doing hey, podcasts we're like, sitting on what an embarrassment of riches like oh, cool Like, you know, back 20 years ago, you didn't have podcasts. You didn't have LinkedIn at at where it is today. And now you get a lot of people who are public facing talking about what their companies are trying to achieve and what they personally are trying to achieve. And so to me, to show up to a call and have done none of that work just feels very lazy, right? Like I can go into a call having a point of view on what I think the company's trying to achieve, what I think that person's role in it is, and what I think they might be believing they need to do to get that done. And as long as I don't enter that call and say, I know exactly what you're doing, as long as I go and I say, look, in an effort to make this a, you know, a good conversation, I did some work in advance and here's what I was able to come up with. But hey, I don't work for your company. What am I missing? Like, I think people really appreciate others who take the time to get to know them and do the work so that they're not having to educate a seller or a podcaster on things that are publicly available and out there.
0: And that almost sounds like a little bit of a challenger approach too, coming in, having an idea of what you think the situation is. Darn right. I wouldn't do
1: anything else.
0: (laughs) So it's like challenger sale of podcasting.
1: Yes, exactly. I actually never thought of it that way, which is something people say when they're being challenged. So Casey's challenging me right now.
0: Interesting. And it's almost like a practical example. People can watch the outcome of that by watching your show and seeing what a properly prepared host looks like. And Absolutely. do you do you prepare your guest as well on that?
1: So this is a great question. And I've gone back and forth on this, but here's where I've landed, where I like. I hate overly scripted shows because they feel like webinars, right? Like podcasts should be more entertaining. They should be more conversational. I am uninterested in sitting here listening to someone do a webinar on a podcast microphone. So my preferred, form- <laughs> <laughs> per- preferred format is every month we have a different theme. So like, you know, this month, our theme is how you prepare for negotiation. So the podcast guest knows the theme. And then the morning of, I will say, here are the seven or eight questions I'm thinking I'm going to ask you. We may not stick to script. You may say something and I may want to build off that, but I want to give you at least some guardrails so you don't feel like I'm completely blindsiding you. But I do it intentionally the morning of, so they don't come up with these really wordy overly mm. webinarized responses. And so in that way, I think it keeps it conversational enough without making your guests feel like, I don't know what I'm stepping into and I feel totally
0: ill-prepared. Yeah. Sometimes guests can do that, right? There, there's some people that love the off the cuff, like let's just roll with whatever. And yeah. then there's some people that really prefer prepping whatever they can. So they don't feel like they have to respond, right. You know, at, at a given notice, but sometimes they can take that too far. Yeah. Um, And so you're, you're saying you tell people the theme that morning before the show, like you're going to send them an
1: email or no. So good question. So I, the theme, when I book them, I'll say, here are the themes we have for each month, which theme lights you up the most, right? So this month's guests are all people that were like, Oh, I love negotiation. Let me get on the negotiation one. So they know the theme is about negotiation, but I don't give them the specific questions that I'm going to ask until the morning of.
0: So they do get the specific questions in an email, but they don't get that till that morning. So they, they're not scrambling too much about it. And I'm obsessing
1: half of them don't could, even see but, it. Honestly, yeah. like half of them don't even see it. And I'm like, that's a good thing, but now you've it got it. so you know where we're going to go? So you can just have it up on your screen if you need it. But I also intentionally try to pick people that I think are just very, very good at the topic. So they don't need a ton of notes, right? I'm, I'm picking people. I have a luxury of, you know, bringing on people in sales, most salespeople who are going to sign up for a negotiation webinar are not like, hold on, let me go get my book. You know, they're just like, this is what I do. <laughs> Let's go.
0: I'm a sales rep. I can do anything.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, We're used yeah, to totally. winging it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so most of the time, your guests are the kind that, so, so I guess in a way, you, you're tailoring your show not only to what you like and the way you like to do things, but also knowing what you know about your guests they don't need too much extra bits and this and that and they don't need maybe an, an extra prep call whereas another kind of audience a non-sales person who uh-huh. likes to analyze things a lot and might get nervous they might really appreciate it. like a cpa hey i might really appreciate talking in advance
1: 100% right it's i think every different show has a unique spin on it it's just for me that works really well and i I've, I've had people that i I've, I've reached out to and said hey i I'd, I'd love to have you on this month's theme and they've come back and said actually jen like i don't know that i could have enough sh- to share that would be genuine that i truly mm. do well on this topic it's a topic where i'm learning i don't feel like i'm excelling so maybe a different month or maybe it's not the right thing at all so i'd rather know that up front than have one book someone book on the show and then be making things up with this as they go, have no stories to tell that I think would result. I, I've been, I've been lucky. I've only had guests for the last 11 months, but I've been lucky. I haven't had anybody had to do that. You
0: haven't had anyone that was just full of hot air. No, that's, that's really fortunate.
1: You know, but I think we can see a lot of what these people are like before we bring them on the show. Like sure. I'm watching in my LinkedIn feed, how are they showing up on other people's podcasts or how are they showing up in their videos or their content. So I almost feel like I know them before mm. they're on the show. I know the things I like about their point of view. And so I know how to pull those things out. That's the beauty again, of living in the, the generation that we do is we can see these people. They're not total surprises when we get them on the show.
0: Got it. And that ties back again to the prep. You know, the kind of things that you want to ask them that will make sure that they're in their zone. It's something they're good at talking about and they're not, at, and they're not out of it. So yeah. you're doing a little extra work. How much time do you spend doing that per show do you think?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I don't have a great system down for it, honestly. Like in the beginning of the year, I did a a mad rush to get as many guests booked as possible. Mm -hmm. And I already had people in my mind who I was like, oh, you know, like I love Nate Nazralla's way of thinking about navigating big, ugly enterprise deal cycles. yeah. I love, um, you know, the way that Sam McKenna approaches social selling. She wouldn't ever call it social selling, but like how she shows up on social. So for me, it was very easy in the beginning because I was like, I know I've got these big heavy hitters. I just want to get on this show. As time has gone on, it gets harder, right? Because then the big obvious ones are out and then you got to start fishing around. But that's the cool part is once you've already, like when we started um, back in February, the first time we had a guest pre-February, we were getting like 2000 downloads a month after bringing guests on, now we're getting 20,000 downloads a month, which means we now have built up a a base of people that are loyal. And so that means they will more likely trust us if we bring in someone who maybe isn't as well known as some of these other names, but we've already proved that we vet high quality talent. So I think we get this benefit of the doubt where you can bring in, like, I've got a couple of people for this month who are not household names. They were extraordinary guests, mm-hmm. but because other people, our guests have already, or excuse me, our audience has already formed the belief that like, Hey, this is a show that focuses on high quality guests. They'll tune into that show because we've already built that reputation.
0: God, they reputation. That's really interesting. And you've got a really strong brand. I mean, challenge brand is awesome. And so you would expect nothing less and you haven't disappointed them. It's almost like you can only disappoint them because it's such a cool brand and you <laughs> haven't. So they stay, they stick with you. Whereas somebody else, it's like, I'm probably going to be disappointed. And then they're pleasantly surprised. I, I wonder if, do you feel that too? Or I just invented that in, out of thin air.
1: You didn't invent it at all. Like, I, I feel very fortunate that with this podcast, I'm attaching it to a brand that is already known. Right. Yeah. I, I empathize. I don't empathize. I guess I sympathize with people that are standing up a podcast without a brand behind it. Cause I think they're two totally different strategies. Like you are, people are betting on you as an individual, as opposed to people are tuning in because of challenger and then may grow to like me, but challenger is typically the entry point. So I, in many ways, I think I have a lot easier. And I think that's why we've seen the growth explode as much as we have.
0: Right versus trying to rep a brand that's like, hey, there's this new thing called uh, soda water sales, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's all about being bubbly and light on calories, and you'll close deals. And you're like, ooh, I got to build from yes. the ground up. So it's more multiplying what you already have. But tell me again, the metrics your downloads just increased dramatically when you when you shifted formats.
1: Yeah. I mean, because before one, we were only doing it once a month because we were new. Like I had no idea. I'd never even listened to a podcast the first time I had hosted a podcast. We had no idea what we were doing. And you've
0: been on like 30 and you hadn't listened to any. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's his name? Like like, Johnny
0: Depp still hasn't seen Pirates of the Caribbean, right? It's weird. I mean, it's
1: weird listening to yourself. And after a while you're like, I talk about the same thing a lot. I'm bored of hearing myself talk. But I think when we started, so it was once a month and it was just me and my co-host at the time, Mike. So we were getting a lot of challenger, not a lot. We were getting some challenger clients that were listening because they were like, okay, this is a way to expand my challenger knowledge. When we introduced guests to the show, I mean, it literally went like that. And I'm on a podcast, so I have to realize that people can't see my hand going up, but my hand's going up. (laughs) Up and to the right, as they say. Because yeah. guest selection is truly everything, right? I Our first guest on the show was a guy by the name of Ian Cognac, who's a really highly regarded um, guy in the enterprise sales space. And literally, when you look at our numbers after he joined, it's it's wild. Because what happens is these guests with very big public personas, when we post the episode and people see Ian, they're tuning in for Ian. They're not tuning in for me. They're tuning in for him. But They may get hooked on the format and then come back for the next person. And so one of the things that, you know, I I did a post that I talked about, like my top 10 lessons learned, one of the big lessons I learned in a guested show format is it ain't about the host. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to come in here and be the, you know, be the center of attention, do not do a guested show format because if I've been on those shows, I've guested on them. They suck. They're icky. And you just feel like you're a means to an end and it's not a great (laughs) guest experience. Right. So what
0: what show, what shows are those? Ah! Is
1: this the show where you
0: like you out them all?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't yours. I'll tell you that it was not yours, Uh, but it's like you, you create this icky experience. So it's like, you really do have to take a step back as a host and say, I am not the star. My guest is, and everything I do is in pursuit of making that person look their very best. And I, I think when we fail to do that and when we try to compete for the spotlight, you can almost hear it. in some like one of the first two episodes I did, I listen back and I kind of cringe because I'm like, I can feel myself trying to compete for airtime. Now it's like, it's for me, it's all about just what are really smart questions that bring out the best of that person's point of view. That's where I spend the vast majority of my time, not thinking about what I'm going to say in response
0: isn't it weird? It's such a, it's like a, it's a weird sensation. I think there was like two or three episodes ago, there was a cool story and I just really wanted to share it. And I was like, don't share it. You don't need to share it. (laughs) And I did. And I felt bad afterward. And I was like, I really didn't need to share that. That was so bad. Uh, For the most part, it's not, you know, you're, you're just sort of pulling great answers, but man, sometimes you just, uh, yeah, there's something about it where it, it isn't about you it, it it's hard though right because if you are a guest on a show it is about you yes and so it, it's not the same thing being a guest versus say being the host
1: at, at all at all it's not but i think the more right. and you, you probably experience this too the more shows you you host i think the better guest you become because you recognize the value of the two-way dialogue versus just talking at Someone and I still catch myself from time to time. I'm like, "Oh, Jen, shut up!" Like, ask the host a question. Um, but I think you learn as you go. There's things to be learned from both sides of the equation. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is taking a backseat, in my opinion.
0: Great point, too. The idea of uh, you know, sometimes I'm new, brand new podcasters, first guest or one of the first couple guests, and it's like it's gonna be fine whatever your intro, I know what you're asking about the question. I helped you write the question. It's all good. We'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're right. So yeah, experience, host, all good, as long as they're putting the emphasis where it should and totally cool. Um, yeah. But the idea of asking a host a question or having a dialogue, though I will say sometimes as a host, uh, or as a guest, it's just like, I just need to talk for the next hour because I've been listening for like 50 hours <laughs> and there's so much I want to share. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever encounter that where there's just so much that you've learned from your guests that you want to get that out, but you, it's not all, you can't get it on the, sh- the show because it's about your guests.
1: Such a great call out. I totally agree with that. Right. And I think even in this episode, you hear me talking about other people. I, I, I think I've learned more in the last, whatever year or so that I've been podcast hosting than the last five years of selling, because you are essentially getting, at least in in my format, right, where I'm interviewing people I really admire in sales, I get to pick the brains of people that I respect. And I get to ask them very specific questions about how they do things. That is such a cool way to get better. It's why I've I've talked to some people who are thinking about starting like a podcast or a LinkedIn live show and they're earlier in their career and they're, they're second guessing, can I do it I don't have an expert point of view. And I'm like, lean into that. Be that listener who also doesn't have an expert point of view and ask all the things that they have in their head. I love shows like that. It's one of the reasons one of my other things I've learned is just to lean into vulnerability. Because if I were to show up every week and be like, I'm an expert on negotiation. I'm an expert on discovery. I'm an expert on running a group meeting. At a certain point, people are going to like look for me to be wrong. Because nobody likes talking to someone who feels like they're a know-it-all, right? So where I feel most comfortable is in early stage selling. Like I love discovery. I love like getting a group to look at a problem differently. And I openly talk about on the show, hey, I kind of suck at negotiation. It's why I put so much emphasis on my early phase. So I have to negotiate less. And that's why I've invited this person on because I really admire how they, they think about it. And I'll openly say on the show, I'm doing it all month long, like, I actually have never considered approaching negotiation like that. Like people like learning together. I think, I think what what turns me off, turns a lot of people off, is when you've got a host that's an absolute know it all. They know everything because it's hard to relate to that person. I think so much of this is just about being relatable.
0: Yeah, and if you know everything, why ask a question, <laughs> right? Or why even have a guest because you know everything? Exactly. Uh, Great point. But you know, but some of the challenge I have around that, and this is, this is not necessarily the right answer, but mm-hmm. but I often will not read the book in advance. Um, our our mutual friend Ethan will read the book in advance, uh, and he's great. He does some amazing prep. Like people listening, his episode on prep is like is the diamond jewel of prep. He's he's great at that. Um, I often won't, and the thought in my head has been, well, I if I know the answer what question am I going to ask if like I already, I, and I, I think the challenge I have is thanks for letting this be a counseling session. <laughs> um, I have, I have a challenge. I don't want to ask a question. I, I know the answer to for the most part, it feels inauthentic to me. I really want to learn. And so if I'm at, I don't just want to be like a talking head, like, Oh, t- so tell me, what is the, what is the challenger sale? Unless I know that it's going like, to help the people listening, I, you know? So do you ever encounter that? Do you ever ask questions you already know the answer to versus, I mean, all this prep, doesn't the prep may elevate your questions beyond the basic level to the point where can people follow you at that point?
1: That's a really, really good question. So the, the unique circumstance I have is when I'm vetting my guests, I have to make sure that they sell like challengers. So that is unique to my show. So if they get on, they're like, hey, I, you know, when I lead a sales call, I'm asking how old their kids are and whatever I would like, that would be a really awkward moment because that's a relationship builder.
0: I use the magical submarine. Yes.
1: It doesn't make any
0: sense. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. So for me, I have to do that work to make sure the advice that they're going to give our, our listeners aligns with the challenger philosophy, but that's unique to my show. But I think you raise a really good point which is you don't want it to feel overly scripted, but I want to know enough. Like I think of it like a LinkedIn post, right? Like I want to know what that person would write on their LinkedIn post. I don't want to know what they'd write in their book. Because if I know, to your point, if I know what they write in their book, I already know the answer. My question is going to be a leading question. It's going to sound inauthentic and kind of clunky, but I want to know high level this person believes that negotiation doesn't start at contract signature, right? Like they believe it starts back here. Okay. Now tell me like, how do you break down the steps? How do you start introducing negotiation to a call? That's where I want to have authentic curiosity. I want to authentically learn with that person, but I do need to know upfront that they're not going to say something that is so wildly like contradictory to challenger's philosophy that our guests are going to be like, wait, is this what challenger is? That that's unique to me though.
0: Uh, makes total sense. The idea of wanting to know what's in the LinkedIn post, but not the book. So maybe not watching their entire podcast episode on another platform or another show, but just uh, enough, just enough to get a good sense for who they are. Talk to me though, the vetting the guests, you know, even though you've said that this is like a unique problem to you, I don't know if it's necessarily that unique. The idea of wanting to make sure what the guests say is going to align with the strategy. It seems like almost a catch 22. You want to have guests, but what if they put stuff out there, especially if you're a thought leader or your company is a thought leader in a space and consulting or whatnot, and they're putting out content that isn't the, the absolutely approved gospel truth of your industry. Is that just, do you take care of all of that with the vetting or tell me about that challenge a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So it gets back to two of the other things on my top 10. So it, oh, yeah. it, it, it tied together. So one is, I think it's very important that we have identified and defined what I'll call an ITL, which is an ideal target listener. That's piece one. I'll break that down a second. Piece. Have you, two, have you trademarked that yet? I have not. I'm sure someone else has said that before me. Okay. <laughs> very rarely come up with very unique original thoughts. You heard it here. So <laughs> ideal target listener, know that is. And then two is know your why of the show and define and commit to it. So if you put those two things together... Like I'll use my show as an example. Winning the Challenger sale is geared at the frontline seller. The frontline seller is not who buys Challenger. Who buys Challenger is the head of sales or the head of sales enablement. And we do get listeners that are heads of sales and sales enablement leaders that listen to the show. But when I thought about my ideal target listener, what I am trying to think of is I want that seller who is like 60% to goal, who is really struggling. They're putting all the right work in and they're saying the work ain't working. So I need a different way of thinking about how to do this job. Like that's the person I envision in my mind. when that when I stay true to that, it keeps me honest so that I don't slide into topics when I'm interviewing ahead of sales on things like, hey, how do you you know set your territory plans? Or how do you think about your, your go-to-market strategy? Those things are relevant to a sales leader. They are irrelevant in most cases to a frontline seller. And so mm-hmm. one of the things I'm really, really bullish about is I'll get people who will reach out and be like, hey, you know, I'm the PR person for this amazing thought leader. And they talk about all these topics. And I'll sit there and I'll say, they would be great for numbers, but they're horrible for our listeners because they're going to talk about themes that a frontline seller doesn't care about. So I'll say no to that because my most important priority is like staying true to that ideal target listener. When I look at my why, right? My why for the show is it drives me absolutely bonkers that there's as many sellers as there are that either get no coaching, bad coaching, or their coaching is things like make more dials. Like that drives me nuts, Uh, right? (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm like, my why is I want to serve those people who are at the mercy of really bad coaching. So you put those two things together. And I think it makes it very crystal clear for me who I'm looking for, what I'm looking for. And I think, you know, I, there's lots of different formats for shows, but the ones I kind of struggle with is when I'll start the show and I'm like, who, who's your ideal listener? And they're like, Oh, it's all these people. And I'm like, but all those people are gonna have a different perspective on the problem. They're gonna have a different perspective on the solution. And it, it makes it harder, I think, for guests to know what to speak to. So super long answer. Sorry, but-
0: No, that's it. cool though. And I mean, half of this show, what's fun about it is it's a break from our typical industry shows where we're just going, you're serving your, your sales folks and, and I'm serving the marketers. And right. it's just like this ethereal discovery of these things. One of the takeaways I got from that was thinking about your ideal target listener. Sometimes I think more about my guest than my listener. And sometimes I think my guest is my listener. And in this case, you very distinctly said, no, my, my, my listener is at this certain level. They're like the end user, but you're interviewing people who aren't that. And, and so that's just, that's interesting that would you say that even your guests, would they be potential buyers or are they just great thought leaders
1: or maybe
0: decision makers? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Like last month I had, or earlier this month, I had an SVP of sales on as a guest who would have been a buyer. He actually was a buyer, but I had him talking very specifically about how he showed up in a negotiation that was really tough with an enterprise deal. So he wasn't talking about the SVP of sales stuff. He was actually talking about a time when he got pulled into a deal. And I think when you also give your guests that direction and that clarity, it helps them stay focused. So they're not all over the place. So like when I think about this show, right? If I were to leave Challenger and I were to start up my own podcast, it would present a whole new set of challenges for me. And I would, even though I have experienced podcasting, I wouldn't have had experience dealing with those challenges. So I would listen to your show, listen to other guests with people that have started their own podcast without being associated with a brand and say, I'm looking to learn how they did that thing. Right. Mm. So I like podcasts that are kind of niche, niche down a little bit, because then I know when I tune in, it's not going to be a total crapshoot as to whether or not I'm, I'm going to get value.
0: Right. And you know, it's it's a tough call narrowing down your target, but you have to the end user, which means their bosses probably aren't interested in listening per se, or maybe they are, if if they're thinking maybe I'll give this to my team. I don't know. Have you thought about that? Like, is there a way you can double dip and get maybe future challenger customers listening as well, their bosses, as well as the the end users?
1: Yeah. So it's a great question. I was actually talking to this guy, Todd Clouser the other day, who I think is really, really, yeah, I love him. I think he's so brilliant. And he has this, this, um, term he uses called bottom up evangelism. So, you know, I'm a, an evangelist, right? Yeah. And we explained it. It made sense to me because I was like, oh, this is what I've been unknowingly doing with the show, which is what I'm trying to do with the show is serve that struggling salesperson. Right. Yeah. And if I do that well, and they learn and they're like, yo, I learned this thing from the show. What are they going to do? They're going to stand up, And they're going to tell other people in their business about it. And ultimately, what's going to start happening is it's going to be like, hey, I I tried that challenger thing. I learned it worked well. So when the manager starts hearing about that, or when someone in the company is saying, hey, we're thinking about implementing sales training or sales methodology, the odds that people at the front line will stand up and say, well, can you put challenger in the consideration set is so much higher versus our old motion was just sell to the head of sales and constantly try to get them. Right. So it's not an either or, it's a do both. We still have to do both. But what I've noticed is I have managers of teams reaching out to me on LinkedIn saying, Hey, half my team is listening to your podcast. I've heard about Challenger, maybe I read the book a long time ago, but I didn't know you guys had a sales training program. Can you tell me more about it? And as a result, like, and again, this is nuanced because this is a podcast for a company, but like, we're getting demand from the sellers speaking up. So Todd calls that bottom up evangelism and I just mm-hmm. think that term is so so smart.
0: Yeah, I love that term. And in honestly most people listening to this are podcasting for a brand, for cool. a company. So we're all in the in like my would you ever consider then doing a top down podcast? I mean, if it works for for one, would it work for more? Would, could you have you know, the the end user sales, could you also have like a sales manager podcast? And can you also have like a VP of sales podcast? Or is it been your preference to have certain one over the other? Like what yeah? Where does that call come from?
1: It's I I think so I bet it's you you always ask these questions where I'm like, have you been tapping my phone. So (laughs) one of the things I thought would be really cool to do is- I hacked your Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Lots of love is blind. Um,
0: (laughs) That is a great show, by the way. That's like a a horrible rabbit hole. We'll never recover from No,
1: I know. We'll have to (laughs) stop it right now because I'll go off. So winning the challenger sale is for frontline sellers. I thought about doing a second show called leading the challenger sale, which is tapping into the the, leader of the sales organization. Right? But the thing is I would never stop doing one and only do the other because the target audience for leading the challenger sale is so much smaller. If you think about the number of sales leaders relative to the number of quota carrying sales reps, SDRs, sales managers, right? So like the like one of the reasons we were intentional about picking the frontline sellers, you're just gonna be able to build an audience faster. Trying to get a head of sales to listen to a podcast is not as easy in my opinion it mm. is to get a frontline seller. But once you've earned that right down here, and you've got you release the leading the sell the challenger sale podcast, then what could happen is those frontline sellers see that and they say, Hey boss, check this out. I listened to winning. Now they've got one for you. So I think building off of you know the largest audience first and then hitting the next audience, then you have your audience almost selling for you versus you doing that uphill lift.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think the only twist I'd throw into that would be you know, every guest you would have on that leadership one would be a potential customer, you know, and you could like pick them all out. And then it's less about how many audience would be listening. And it almost be more about how many guests can you, can you have?
1: 100%. And, And then there's also a repurposing element, right? So if I did leading the challenger sale and I take big topics that usually freak people out from buying challenger, like one, one question we have is like, well, you know, my managers suck at coaching. Could I still make challenger happen? I have a guy that had that same belief system prior to implementing Challenger that was a customer. When he went through Challenger, he saw that our coaching program actually shifted their manager's capability in coaching. So I could bring him on. Mm -hmm. I could have him talk to, I had the same worry and here's what we did and here's what happened. And then I can take that content. And I can repurpose it and give it to AEs who are selling to prospects who have the same concerns. So it's not us saying, Don't worry, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, it'll be fine. You're it'll be fine. Quote. <laughs> right. Then you instead of having to call and get a reference, you use that content then to say, this guy had the same fear. Mm-hmm. Take a, you know, 20 minutes and listen to how they overcame it and let me know if you know you want to talk more about it. Right. And yeah. then you can actually use content for the purpose of advancing the sale instead of just content for content's sake.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. You got, you got podcasts to launch. You got more. Ah, There's So many things for you to do. You're not busy capacity. now. Capacity.
1: Capacity is the problem. got lots of ideas. I know. Oh, um,
0: well, you know, all this is well. And so I, for a company, what do you personally get out of podcasting?
1: Oh my gosh. As a salesperson, I have learned so much about active listening probably more than anything else I think you can tell when a host is not listening, and it's awkward and it's embarrassing. And I've never wanted to be that person. Can you tell? <laughs> Side track. Can Can you tell? I think I think you can, right? Because you get surface level questions instead of, oh, you know what you you said this in this story, and it made me think of this, and it forces you to really lean in and focus entirely on what that guest is saying, which then okay. translates into sales calls, which makes us better sellers. So that's one thing. And can
0: you tell if I'm looking at Facebook right now? Like I
1: can't, no. You can't,
0: okay, <laughs> good, good, good. I'm not, but in case I was.
1: <laughs> that I'm not, I'm not a good detective on. And then the second thing is storytelling, right? So oh, much nerd. of podcasts is about entertaining while teaching or edutainment, whatever you want to call uh, it. And I've always been a terrible storyteller. I still don't think I'm a great storyteller, but I think I am a better storyteller as a result of podcasting because it forces you to have to be interesting and entertaining. I could be the smartest person in the world and make the most boring podcast hosts.
0: Storytelling is not as easy as people think it is. You know, it gets easier if you've been, if you're out with friends and you've all been drinking, um, yeah. <laughs> But actually, the story doesn't get better. You your standards just get worse. Uh, yes. yeah, it, it, it can be tough. <laughs> have you have you asked qu- the story type questions of people on a podcast yeah. and unprepared? Some are great. Maybe the ones you've talked to for the most part, those like really polished speakers, they're gonna have like a childhood story to make you cry, and it's so well polished. But not everyone has those.
1: Yeah, that that is so true. We did a month. Um, one of our themes this year, I think it was. June was on storytelling and sales. And I mean, those guests just, they brought it right. Like (laughs) I picked people I knew were great storytellers, but it's also, I think in the way we ask questions. So as a host, I'm not just saying like, tell me a story about when you lost a deal. Cause then it's like, ah, there's so much, like, I'm, I'm trying to be very specific based on the topic to say, tell me a story where you worked on a deal for you know six months, eight months. It's a huge deal. You got to the final mile and you lost it in negotiation. So as I'm giving them specifics, I'm allowing them to pull from their memory, I think in, a, in an easier way. I'm also buying them a little time because sometimes I might say, so for example, you know, I just lost one recently and I'm also trying to make it easy for them to be vulnerable. So they don't tell a story that is like a humble brag, but they, I set an example that like, let's talk real here. Like I lost a deal and it sucked and I spent all this time doing it and it was totally preventable and it was because I did this. Does anything like that come to mind for you? And I think some of it is about just making your guests feel comfortable telling authentic stories.
0: And that's interesting because as you were describing the way you would ask that question, it it's necessary if they don't know that question's coming, right? It They didn't get the email. They didn't know that this sort of personal deep dive was about to happen. So mm-hmm. you graciously ask the question, their body's going through shock at the moment, <laughs> trying to find it. And, and then you just start talking, you know, I'm like, Oh, thank God, she's still talking. So I can figure out what this deal is um, versus say prepping them. And then they'd know what the answer is. Uh, so it's like a little bit of a different thing. But I, I really, I, I noted that, you know, to ask a tough question like that, if you're not prepping, you got to give them that time. And yeah. also the fact that you told your own story, really interesting component, because then that helps soften them up to say it is okay to, to bring this out and get those tough questions answered.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I also intentionally pick people that I know are vulnerable. Like I per, personally, for me, the one of my least favorite words is expert. I I cannot stand that word in my field because I don't believe that sales is ever something you can become an expert at. It just changes yeah. to your like rapidly, yeah. right? So if I'm an expert at selling to three people, am I an expert at selling to 10 people? like Those are two totally different circumstances. So I also pick people who I see show up on LinkedIn or podcasts and they talk openly about times they've fallen down. Because I think, at least to me, and some of this is selfish, I, I value learning from people like that.
0: Yeah. And that ties back to even what you said at the very beginning, which was the, the humility that I'm not an expert, I'm bringing my, my learning Pat to this equation.
1: And see, that's on active listening right there. Casey, bring it back to something I said earlier.
0: I I love the meta of this particular show. (laughs) It's a little scary sometimes when people talk about asking bad questions or interrupting the guest, You're like, Oh shit, am I doing that right now? Um, but yeah, it's fun. Right. I, exactly. You said that earlier and I was listening to you now. And so, so, and you were talking about this, you were talking about one of the things you've learned was active listening. Um, what, what else do you get from that experience of podcasting?
1: Um, I, candidly for me, it's also just a mini course in selling. It's selling like cool. people I admire. Right. So I know sometimes I, I forget that I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about my listener, but then when I'm listening to my guests tell that story, like I just talked about the fact that negotiation is not my favorite part of sales by any way, shape or form. I had the opportunity to talk to five super smart people this month about negotiation. I learned something from every single one of them. So I am a better salesperson as a result of having these conversations because I'm essentially getting free coaching. I mean, that's (laughs) the real like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. That's the real trick of it. So that it definitely for me as a salesperson has been beneficial for my own learning development.
0: I think it was like Tim Ferriss or someone who said that if you wanted to be an expert in something, go buy three or five books on a topic, read them. And guess what? Now you probably know more than most everyone else because no one else has read five books on that topic. And if you've interviewed four or five people on negotiation, no doubt your negotiation skills is way better than it was for you at the beginning, but also better than probably most everyone else, unless they've also interviewed or listened to those five episodes. Uh, There's some, there's some real learning there that really has improved you and who knows what else you can do with that.
1: And for me, I don't know about you. I am not someone who reads books. Like I have books back there and many of them (laughs) I started and I have not finished because by the time I get to the end of the book, I'm like, wait, what did I really like in chapter one? I've always struggled with, with nonfiction reading always. And so for me, I love LinkedIn. I love podcasts because it's so much more bite-sized. And for me, I can ask the question I'm really concerned about versus having to read like 300 pages and hope that the question is in there. So it also just suits my learning style.
0: A hundred percent. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you, selfishly, you get to ask that question. I remember interviewing uh, a guy named Peter Fader, professor of Wharton and marketing, right? Uh, for an hour and a half yes. about customer lifetime value and my brain was smoking, but I got to ask him whatever question I wanted to. And, and I, and I definitely wasn't an expert on that call. So, I, <laughs> so he would say, "You know, does that make sense? I was like, no, right. <laughs> could you, could you explain that? And and he did. Right. So like, that, that's so powerful.
1: That I love that you said that, right. I think one of the things podcast hosts feel this, this pressure to is to be like, yeah, that makes sense. But if it didn't make sense to you, Probably didn't make sense to your listeners too, and I—that's what I mean about like vulnerability and authenticity. If you were worried about being perceived as the expert, you would never do what you did. But you care about actually making sure that the concepts are well understood, and so you ask that question. That's like to me, that's a trademark of a killer host.
0: Yeah, asking at being able—that's great. I'll definitely make a note of that. That is definitely something where uh, being able to share that you don't understand and or asking for clarification is okay. And it's not in, in, in it's not on the guest not answering the question. It just man, you just need a little help, little, little, little boost up there. Um, well, nice question. If everything's flowers and roses and happiness and sunshine and podcasting, what's the dark side? What, what's challenging you right now? Like what, what are the challenges with you in podcasting? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I lost your audio.
1: I was going to say my current challenges are our landscaper just decided to show up and I don't know if you can hear that, but it's so loud. So there's one real time one is managing the dynamics of hosting a podcast in your home and all the unexpected. Can we keep that fire. in? Cause that and- was like
0: so perfect. Timing. Is <laughs> that-, that cool? Yeah, was totally. So, so essentially you, you had to mute because you had your landscaper come by, like, Yes. who listening to this has, has, could not relate to that. And it's always like during your podcast, when they come by, it's never during any of the meetings or any other things. It's yes. always when you're like recording
1: a hundred percent or like your kids like crawling in the door. Cause they think they won't be able to be seen that way. <laughs> but that's You know what? That's like the humanity yeah. of it. It's, I've learned to think it's fun in the beginning. It freaked me out. And I thought it looked unprofessional and now I'm just like, whatever it is, but it is. Right. Um, I think the real, the the biggest challenge is just how time consuming it is. I completely underestimated between guest selection, coming up with the questions, like different questions every week on the same topic. Um, the, the pre and post work to make sure that like you're giving your guests what they need to be able to socialize it and promote it. Um, the posting on LinkedIn, like, It takes a lot. It's not just, I mean, you know this, but to people listening who maybe are newer on, it's not just like, okay, interview someone and then it's done. I mean, half of it is getting it out there and getting people to care about it and coming up with new ways to talk about the same topic. It's really time consuming. But the reason I do it is because I love it. Right. So I think you really do have to love the subject matter you're talking about. um, If you're going to, if it's going to be worth all the work that you have to do. So for me, balancing the workload has always been pretty, pretty difficult.
0: What takes the most time that you wish you didn't have to do?
1: I mean, that's a a tricky question, right? Because prepping takes the most time, but it's also the thing that I think is single-handedly responsible for the quality of the episode. So I would never drop it because I just think it's that important.
0: So prepping takes the most time and you can't drop it. Are there any other things that you can, or?
1: I mean, I would say like, I'm very fortunate. We have a, a podcast partner that does all of the, you know, editing and, mm-hmm. um, creates the snippets. So I don't have to do any of the, I mean, gosh, if I had to do that stuff, I, I, I could never do a weekly cadence. Um, so I think that stuff definitely that makes sense, at least to me to outsource to someone else, um, as long as they get the vision of what you're trying to do with the show.
0: Yeah. Having a partner is like critical to be able Maybe. to just help with the heavy lifting. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Time, huh? So you got to love it. It's one of those things that, you know, if you don't love it, pick a different topic. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> Cause if you don't love it, your listeners definitely don't love it. That's for sure.
0: Right. And life's too short to show up for an interview that you don't want to be at. Yes. For sure. A question for you. I had this happen to me the other day and I didn't know what to do about it. Maybe you do. Um, I got, I had a very professional guest on who knows what they're talking about. And I basically got talked at for an hour. And I was a little tired because I had done a couple other podcasts that day too. And so I was just sort of like a victim of it as opposed to like, what am I going to do to shake this up? Like, shut them down. And I, yeah. So, have you ever encountered that? And, and have you done anything about that? And if not, what would you hypothesize would be a good solution to that?
1: So when you said talked at, do you mean like they didn't let you speak or was it more their tonality of what they were saying?
0: They, they just kept talking, right? So they answer the question and they kept talking because, you know, authors, we have this sort of problem and podcasters and speakers can, and they just, the answer just kept going and it daisy chained. And I can relate to those kind of things where one thought leads to the next thought leads to the next thought. And I was just like holding on for dear life.
1: <laughs> so I've had that happen, not on a podcast, but a webinar I did. And looking back, first of all, I don't know, If there's anything I could say is like, this is what I do in the moment. I think when you're in it, you're just like, shit, I'm in it. Like, and I I should have prepared differently (laughs) after that podcast. What I realized is I wasn't giving or that webinar. I'm sorry. I didn't give that person enough guidance up front to say the format of the show is conversational. Right. And so. What we want to gear towards is I'll ask a question. You can take two, three minutes to respond to it, but we don't want to get much longer than that because then it's just going to feel like a presentation and not a conversation. So after that, when I did other guested webinar formats, I was very clear on that. And you can tell the difference. It's like it's night and day between the second one that I did from the first one I did, because it was very clear, like the pace was very clean. And so I think some of that falls on us to make sure we're very clear up front with the guests to be like, this is the format. Don't talk for more than three minutes. And if you do, I might throw like a little finger up or something to kind of trigger you to wrap it up. But I don't think, I mean, I feel for you because if that happened to me in a podcast, I don't know what I would do. I don't think there's a polite way to be like, can you just shut up and stop talking?
0: And the problem was (laughs) everything the guest was saying was super valid. It was like good stuff. It was good stuff. It was just, it was just hard because it was it was definitely not a dialogue. It yeah. <laughs> the joke would be I could just oh I'm turning my video off for a second and then <laughs> you know and then I'm like okay bye. You're like <laughs> I'm here. God. God. Tell me what you think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no that that's, that's a great tip though. Just it man it's whenever we can just set the right expectation of what we're looking for. You know, not a five second answer, but also. We gotta keep it modular so we can marketing marketing needs it. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so I mean can chop it, it up. It probably has something to do with guests too. Like, I mean, I pro I personally probably wouldn't have like someone who is a lecturer on my show, right? Because that's their format that they're comfortable with. I want someone who's a conversationalist, and so it might be a little bit of guest selection too. I don't know. It's yeah. a hard yeah. one.
0: Yeah, good call. Great ideas. Last question for you, and then I know you turn into a pumpkin and you have evangelism to do. Uh, If we chat again, and hopefully not until this point, but many times before this point, but we chat again 50 episodes from now, which is Mm -hmm. about a year's worth of podcasting. It's a weekly show. What do you want your show to be? If it could be anything and you could just create it now, what do you want us to be chatting about 50 episodes from?
1: I mean, for me personally, if you think back to my ideal target listener, I want it to become part of the handbook of how new sellers learn to sell. So I want to see someone join an organization and have their manager say, this is what we sell. This is what we, who we sell it to. And this over here is how we sell it. And I want you to listen to one of these every week. Like, I want it to become an integral part of how sellers learn to sell so they don't learn to sell in a way that doesn't suit them only to have to unlearn those behaviors mid-career. That, that is my ideal state of where I'd like it to be.
0: love that. And I can see those themes going a long way to do that. Hey, I'm having issues with negotiation. Well, there's four episodes on that topic right here. And the team knows it, you know it, the site shows it, all that. It really becomes a, yeah. a a resource, like an ongoing resource, not just like a listen and forget about it.
1: Totally. And I, I, I would like it to be like, if you had really, if you could afford, you know, paying for these guests that I have to be your personal coach, I want it to feel like that. Like this is, these are the questions I would ask them if I had them coaching me for an hour or 40 minutes or whatever, I would like, I would like it to feel like that for someone. And the other reason I do four different guests on the same topic is one of the things that was always hard for me is just you know, sometimes you relate to a person and sometimes you don't relate to a person. I was never like a super aggressive, like always be closing seller. Yeah. And so even though they might be giving great advice, I could just never see myself saying things that way. So I try to intentionally pick four different personality types each month. So if I'm more outgoing or I'm more introverted, I could be like, oh, I le- I can learn more from that person. I think that's important to me in my own learning style. It's just relatability to the person teaching.
0: Relatability. And with that favorite ice cream,
1: Oh my gosh, this is like picking your favorite child. But I'm gonna go with mint chocolate chip.
0: Okay, (laughs) so literally, like the last three people I've asked on this show, literally have all said that, and that's my favorite too.
1: No, it is weird,
0: super weird. And this like
1: a common theme of for those listening to the
0: show. They're gonna like, no, this is so scripted. Yeah, that's weird. That's really cool though. Very
1: relatable. <laughs> I see. I think men chocolate chip is something people either absolutely love or hate. Like Nick, my fiance, hates it. He's like, "It's like eating toothpaste. Why do you like it?" I'm like, "It's Bro, the best thing in the world."
0: Toothpaste, get out of here. Good, more for, yeah, more for you. Yeah, exactly. Right, don't eat it. It's like me and black licorice. Nope, you can have it all. I don't oh want no, uh, that we differ, yeah. my friend. Don't want it. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Where can people connect with you? Challenger sale, you, all that jazz.
1: Yeah. So connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Jen Allen. Um, the Challenger Sale is challengerinc.com. You can learn more about it. And the podcast is called Winning the Challenger Sale wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you so much for having me, Casey. It's always so much fun being with you.
0: So cool. Likewise, so much fun. You are the best guest on the planet. Thanks for being on two of the shows here. I'm going to go invent my third podcast <laughs> Have you on that one? Until then, thank you again for being on here. Absolutely. All right, everyone, this has been just a fun, crazy, freaking cool episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We will see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com.